Wellness Force Radio. Feelings are essential, but they can't dictate our actions. We literally infect each other with our emotions. We came here for a special purpose. Let the purpose unveil itself. Knowing without doing the same thing as not knowing. They're not just trackers. I'm going to wear this and it's going to help me do the right thing. Wellness Force Radio, Episode 74 with best-selling author and speaker, Jake Ducey. We're taught to pick A, B, C, or D. And all of our tests are conditioned to pick. And then all of our choices in life are be a doctor, be this, be this, be that. We're told to pick choices. We're never asked fill in the blank questions, but life is fill in the blank. What do you want? What do you actually want from your life? And the problem is most people have such little goals, there's no excitement in it. The most highly self-actualized, the most self-realized, most effective people in the world are in process over outcome, meaning that they're doing what they're doing for the process and not the outcome of it. And through the process, when they're focused on that, they're one, they're more productive and more effective because they're so present with what's happening around them. But that's where we all know that's where all the fun and the joy is anyways. Welcome back to another episode, my friend. I am your host and wellness coach, Josh Trent. Thank you for spending your time with me here on the podcast. This is where every week I bring you access to global experts in wellness, technology, and behavior change. On this podcast, you'll learn from exceptional people who are dedicating their lives to driving real transformations in physical and emotional wellness. My intention with the show is that together, we'll discover the connections between your emotions and healthy habits to live your best life and enjoy the process. This episode is brought to you by Perfect Supplements, a company I'm honored to stand with, who walks the talk with their values of non-GMO, pesticide-free, real food supplements that support us all on the wellness journey. Hop on over to perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce. Enter code wellnessforce to save 10% off your entire order at checkout. I'm welcoming you into my home today. I got to sit down with my good friend, Jake Ducey, here in Encinitas in my apartment. This is one of those really raw and candid conversations where we take right and left turns and leave no stone unturned. Today on the show, we're going to learn from Jake Ducey about creating the life we love and how to draw more meaning into our lives. The focus of today's show is learning about from Jake how the subconscious mind impacts our habits, behaviors, and our wellness. We'll talk about his relationship with Jack Canfield, his hero's journey story, facing death abroad. We'll talk about vibration, what that means to actually own your vibration, process over outcomes, and behavior change, mastering the mind with some of these incredible people that Jake coaches, how to move through fear, and we'll also talk about my Vipassana, which if you're listening to this live show, I am smack dab in the middle of a 10-day silent meditation retreat. Don't worry, I'm just as nervous as that sounds, but I'm also really excited. A little bit more about Jake. At only 25, Jake is a three-time published author and a two-time published author with Penguin Random House, The Purpose Principles and Profit from Happiness, and his first book, Into the Wind. He's a leading speaker for his generation of millennials, having been featured on TEDx Youth, hired by mega organizations like Nielsen and Accenture, and a leader who has already inspired countless of thousands of young people to seek meaningful career success and make a difference in the world. Most significantly to Jake, the nonprofit Feed Our Children now announced him as their spokesman. And while he was on the Vans Warp Tour, Jake helped them raise over 345,000 pounds of food for homeless youth in America. I want to jump right in. This is a fun show in my apartment. Welcome to my home. Let's learn from Jake Ducey. 
Jake Ducey, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. So we are sitting here in my quasi-recording studio in my apartment. I'm sweaty. We both had a kombucha, but we're here to talk about something amazing and something that I really believe in, and that is transformation. Jake, thanks so much for coming to my house. Yeah, thank you for having me. There's a ton of information about you online, jakeducey.com, but to start our time... Tell us something fun, Jake, that most of us don't know about you. People probably think that I work really hard, but I spend most of my time um, generally without a shirt on sitting and and reading books. (laughs) I'm pretty sure you just described everyone's perfect work environment. Well, since 19, you've been through many years of transformation, but it's funny, you know, I'm 36 and I look at the work you've accomplished, you're 25, and I'm so blown away, man. The things you've done, we're going to talk about all three of your books. You're a triple published author. So, you know, to kind of start our time together, what is it that you say you do, like in a couple sentences, if somebody were to come up to you in an elevator or they saw you kind of walking around Encinitas and they'd say, hey, Jake Ducey, like, what do you do? Like, what's, what's your thing? What are you all about? I help people find out what they really want and show them how to get it. And in that space of showing them what they want, there's a process to this. What was this ethos that you came from? Like, what even made you write the purpose principles? What was this for you? Well, I was personally curious, you know, my story as a 19-year-old, I dropped out of college and I was curious, what is it that is the common threads between some of the biggest influencers in the world? It was just something I was personally curious about. And so I thought, you know, if this is something I'm personally curious about, why not, you know, turn it into a book and turn it into, you know, something that will support me. And so what I found, number one common thread is, is, is of course, having a vision. And Mike Dooley has a beautiful quote. He says, every famous author, musician, dancer, speaker, whatever, artist has one thing in common. They were once none of those things. There were once none of those things. Jay-Z sold his albums out of the trunk of his car. Mm -hmm. No one knows that. And so what I set out was to find those common threads that the media will never talk about. So we're convinced that these people are somehow more talented than we are or they, whatever, got a lucky break. There's no such thing as luck though. And when you really boil it down to there's a common threads that they all followed. And when we step into those same paths, we can create our own legend, our own story, our own, as Joseph Campbell calls it, our own hero's journey. So I was interested in that and how to go about programming our minds so we can create success. Otherwise the world programs it. We generally fail or live a mediocre life, which is what most people do because 95%, nine out of 10 people die with no financial assets and less than $10,000 cash. How would you define success? Because you talked about like most people die without achieving success. Like, what does that mean to you, success? I think it's living a life that just you feel good about. You know, for some people, that's they like the joy of trying to build a $10 billion company. Other people want to live in a cabin in the woods. I was just in Canada and this guy loves his life. He builds cabins. He's a carpenter up, up the Indian arm, which is totally uninhabited and you have to get to by boat. So I think it's doing things that you love and having the resources if needed in order to live that way. Mm. You know, at the end of the day, it's like living in a heavenly state. Yeah. And one of the things that came up from there was reading your book was this creating the life you love. You know, it's, it's drawing more meaning into your life, but a lot of times people can't find the meaning if they're not willing to change, like willing to actually look at themselves, like have that uncomfortable, honest conversation with what's not working. And I'm curious what you see, you know, you work with clients, 
you receive some very high-end coaching. You also coach a lot of entrepreneurs and people that are looking for that change. What's the common thread with the people that come to you that you attract? What do you see as kind of like the one and the two and the three limiting factors from a mindset perspective for people? People don't uh, know that they have an unconscious mind, first of all. So your subconscious mind controls 95% of your life. Psychologists say we have 65,000 thoughts in a day. How many of them do you actually think, personally you, Josh, are geared towards the thing, your conscious goals and desires? 5%. If that for most people, 3%, right? Yeah. For Josh, it's yeah. probably 20, but okay. for everyone else, it's like <laughs> two or three. Honestly, if they're lucky, most people don't even think three thoughts in the in a whole day that are in alignment with the actual life they want to live and who they want to be. So if you don't understand what actually governs and controls you, then you're going to say the secret is BS, law of attractions, BS. You can't get what you want. The world's rigged by bankers and by government and all these things like that because you don't understand that your conscious desire, your conscious mind doesn't create reality. It's a filtering device. It does not create reality. That's why people drive to 7-Eleven and they're on the phone the whole way and they got there and they didn't even remember driving. It's because your unconscious mind gets you there. Everyone's unconscious. Why'd you do that, Josh? Well, I don't know why I did that. Mm -hmm. Why? Because you have an unconscious mind. So the first thing is people don't understand that. I have one client. She's very, very, very successful and she has a had a multi-million dollar business for years. Her actual money she's made personally out of that is is about 250,000 a year. And so I said, "How many years have you made that?" Oh, last 12 years in a row. Is that interesting that you've never really made more than that in 12 years? Well, yeah, when you put it that way, it's pretty interesting. It's cuz we have an unconscious governor. And so Rumi says, your task isn't to seek the things you want, but find the barriers that you built against it. Well, the barriers that we built against it are unconscious programmings. You know, if your parents got divorced around money, you probably have a bad relationship around money. If one of your parents maybe was abusive to the other, maybe you're really scared of love, right? We have these unconscious governors, like a governor in a car that tops out at 65 miles an hour. We have governors around our love, around our health, around our body image, around how happy we become, around the money we make, the risks we do or don't make in our life, the people we associate ourselves with. If we even set a big goal at all, or if we just think, no, you know, I can't because my mom only made 30000 a year and I got Fs mm-hmm, in school. Mm-hmm. So we don't understand the unconscious governors, and that's what blocks us most. So what do you feel like then has been your turning point? I mean, you went against the grain from the beginning. You were sitting in class and the teacher was talking about the Federal Reserve. You raised your hand, you asked this question, and you were like, hey, so why is this a private entity? And you were told to, I think you said, shut up and be quiet and sit there. And that didn't sit well with you. So there was this shift. That was the beginning, do you feel like, for you of the shift of seeking more? Tell us about that. Uh, what happened in the classroom? Yeah, well, you said it You said it right. I was, I, was a, I was a highly recruited basketball player out of high school in San Diego, first team all San Diego, led San Diego and three-point shooting. I thought I was going to go to school on a college basketball scholarship. And because I'll be a prized athlete, I'll get a business degree and I'll go sell something because I'm tall for some company and I'll make a bunch of money. Does that make you a better salesperson if you're tall? (laughs) (laughs) That's what I had been told. That's the unconscious information. You're tall. You'll be a good salesman. Why don't you make sure you get your degree and get get your scholarship and then you'll sell something great, right? Yeah. And I... My dad told me how the economy works. I was studying business and economics. My dad showed me how money's printed, and I was like, what the heck? Money doesn't isn't backed by anything? And said, 
it's a currency that has no real value. So I asked my teacher and he said, shut up, memorize the textbook. The whole class told me to be quiet. They wanted to memorize the formulas and be good little students so they could go off and, you know, go live their lives, $250,000 in debt. And I was just curious. And so it struck me that my teacher, it seems like an important subject if you're studying business to understand how the economic system works and how we're going to get out of debt as a nation. So it struck me as bizarre and interesting. And then that's what made me think, oh, this isn't really a conducive place for my learning. This isn't grooming me to be creative and to be successful. Personally, I could tell that it wasn't for my own self. Somebody else maybe may be great for them. And that's what led me on the path where I was like, well, what? what, you know, what is life about? I was like, is this thing all a lie? I was like, almost like freaking out. I was kind of paranoid for a little while. And then at this one point you decided, Hey, I'm not only going to leave away this like traditional education piece, but I'm going to travel. I'm going to go see the world because I think there's answers out there. And you went on this one journey where I almost feel like it was just like you on the rocks and on the rocks, you really faced this point of death almost. Tell us about that. I mean, I could, I could try to describe it, but you wrote it so awesome in the book. Tell us what happened when you traveled what you learn when you traveled, and then what happened on the rocks. You know, everyone can relate to, you're, you're probably not a 19-year-old student, but everyone can relate to sitting in a spot you don't feel like you're supposed to be and you feel like you're meant for something more. You could be 45 in a, in a desk in an office and you feel like you're selling yourself short and you've been lying to yourself your whole life about who you are and what you're capable of, so you've just been limiting your dreams, you know? And you could be a 33-year-old mother of two. It doesn't matter. We all can feel that. So I, I want to set that common ground. For me, I was a 19-year-old student. And so I had a few thousand dollars saved. I realized most of us are gambling on the biggest risk of all. And that's the bet that one day, one day, I'll do something that I actually want. But for now, I'll just kind of curl up into a little ball and play dead for the rest of my life, which is what most people do. They're essentially playing dead. And I realized that I didn't want to play dead. And so I went around traveling, backpacking. I, I thought that you know, if you're listening to this podcast, you may realize that there's a difference between learning it and living it. I was learning it. I was studying a lot of self-help books. I was listening to podcasts and YouTube videos. I could quote you a million different quotes. But I wasn't living an inspired life. I was doing the things I didn't want to do. I knew I was meant for something more and I wasn't doing it. And most people that are consuming information in this industry are just learning it. And I realized I had to live it. I had to go out there and figure something out and experience something and not just sit there and just learn it forever. And so that sent me around the world. And as you said, ultimately to Indonesia and I was um, hiking, I was hiking with some locals and it was pouring rain and we were, you know, on an island called Lumbok and you can't even see a building route in the middle of nowhere. And, you know, where you can just scream, I love my life and no one will hear you. No one can complain. Did you no do that there? You. Did you scream that? And uh, have I didn't back? scream it, but I should have. Okay. And, and but you can imagine the scenery. It's pouring rain, beautiful rainforest, green mountains poking into the rainforest clouds, and we're hiking up. It's beautiful. We get up there. We spend the whole day there, and we have to come back down because we need to take a boat back to the other island before it gets too dark. And it's pouring rain, and I'm stepping, and, and 
all of a sudden I slip off the rocks. We're just climbing 10, 12 foot boulders covered in moss. There's no trails when you're out in the middle of nowhere in a jungle and in Indonesia, it's not like the trail behind your house you were just running on. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. and I slipped and I fell and I saw my trip flash before my eyes. I saw my life flash before my eyes. I could hear them screaming my name, Jake, 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 Jake. And everything went still. Free fall like that is less than a second, but it feels like an hour. Whole life flashed before my eyes. And and I'll give you a spoiler as what happens when you when you die or when you come close to it is mm. the only thing that really goes into your head is did I live a life that was true to who I am? And that's actually been scientifically proven. Bonnie Ware, she's a palliative nurse that studied that. That's she works with people just before they die. And so these are people on their deathbed. So for like 20 or 30 years, she even wrote a book about it called The Top Five Regrets of the Dying or something like that. And so she studied thousands of people just before their death. And she found the common regret that they had. The number one was, I wish I would have lived a life true to myself. And I fell and and I got smashed into this crevice. And, you know, I was didn't know am I dead right now? Is this what death is like? Is this like, am I in heaven? Am I in hell? I don't know. You know, (laughs) all those like thoughts you don't know I'm discombobulated and I'm in a frenetic state. And I eventually open my eyes up and I realize I'm alive and my arms bleeding, my legs bleeding, but like, I'm like, okay, everything, my arm, my legs, everything's moving. I didn't hit my head and I roll over and one of them jumped after me. These are just Indonesian guys that I met. You just met them. They didn't know you from anyone else. No, I just met them a few days ago and we liked each other. So they wanted to take me hiking and, and. I start. I literally started crying on the spot watching this guy jump because I thought he's gonna die. I'm gonna like have to carry this guy's dead body back up because he's just jumping twelve foot, ten foot boulders into nothing, into rocks in the pouring rain, in rainforest rain, not like our little Southern California mm-hmm. drizzle here. And this there. is real rain. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I started crying, and um, he ended up being okay, and he couldn't get to me because I was creviced in between boulders. And they were able to get back up, and they levied themselves down like ropes, basically. And after 30, 40 minutes, essentially, long story short, were able to reach down to me and pull me back up. And, I mean, I didn't. I always say it was the most heroic thing that's ever happened to me besides my mom birthing me. And I don't remember my mom birthing me. So it was a, to my conscious mind, it was the most amazing thing that ever happened to me. I didn't know this guy and he literally risked his life, you know, literally could have died on the spot. And mm-hmm. I would have like been with the customs and they would have think like I killed these people because they pushed them off the cliff. Like, you know, all those crazy thoughts sure. are going in the head. And, um, and they saved me. And I was in bed that night, like, in a little pain from falling, but more emotional trauma because I realized I was on the other side of the world. I thought that if I went to a certain country or got my passport stamped enough or traveled for long enough, I'd find my life purpose. I'd find what I'm looking for. The answers were outside of America's because America was screwed and the government was messed up and no one understands in America and everyone's living the for the illusion of the American dream and blah, 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 blah. All of these things that were projections. And I realized... The life that I said, most people, what happens when you die is you realize, you know, I wasn't living a life true to myself. And I realized traveling wasn't true to myself, to my soul, to my heart. It was to come home. It was to become a writer. It was to write a book. And Mm. it was to, you know, share this message. And hopefully it inspires you listening to this now. 
Now, one of the cool things that I'm going to do in about nine days is go on this 10-day Vipassana. And I just want to thank you on the air because uh, episode 49, I think, with Karan Bajaj, the Yoga of Max's Discontent, we talked about this. And it was so exciting because it was a rite of passage for most Indian men, most men in India, to do a Vipassana. And you told me, but we met in person, actually, with my mentor, Sean. You were like, hey, this 14-day Vipassana literally created the space for me to write my book, to get clear in my life, and to just tap into my source. Like, what was that for you? And first of all, thank you, because that's part of why I'm going to my Vipassana. So I really appreciate that, man. Yeah, so after I f- took the spill, I decided to quit traveling and end the 14-day silent meditation in Thailand. Doesn't that sound scary out there? Like 10 days silent, 14 days silent, but it's not scary, right? Yeah, well, what, you re- what I realized is that we're predominantly controlled by our senses and the physical world, which isn't really real at all, actually. When you actually break it down, they can split an atom. So this desk isn't really your desk at all. It's just a certain vibrational frequency. And we're controlled by vibrations outside of ourselves and by senses. We look at our report card. We look at our bank account to decide for our next goal for the next year. Well, I only made 20,000. Well, I only made 65,000. Well, you know, I can't make 300,000. I can't make a million or I'm not that smart. I got Fs. I can't do this dream or that dream or whatever it is. We're controlled by our senses. And when you are silent for an extended period of time, your senses are cut off and you realize what actually creates reality is within yourself. And you get in touch with that. And you see, what are these unconscious energies and thoughts that are happening because you're not influenced by the vibration of a cell phone and your phone rings so you run into the other room and grab it. We're just like we're just like dogs reacting to sound all day. Mm-hmm. Gotta wake up to my alarm clock, gotta get to work. Yep. Boss says this, somebody says this. We're just reacting. reacting Chopra reacting, calls reacting. it the conditioned bundle of nerves. We're a conditioned bundle yeah. of nerves. That's a beautiful way to say it. And yeah. so you disconnect from that. And when you disconnect from that, you see... Um, with clarity, your eyes can't really see clearly. So when you disconnect from your senses, you get in touch with a deeper vision and you can see your life and, and, and who you want to be and who you're supposed to be. And you can hear the intuition and the soul and the heart speak to you in a really faint voice that you can't hear because the noise of the world is so loud. And that's what, that's what happened. I love the way you put that, man, because literally we are a conscious being, but then we're also this like spirit having the human experience. So with the human experience comes calendars, cell phones, computers, things we're trying to do all the time, but we're not human doings, we're human beings. And so that's the part that I'm excited to get in touch with again. And actually, while this podcast episode is coming out, I'm going to be in the middle of my Vipassana. So by the time you're listening to this episode, I'll either be in the middle of it, having whatever experience I'm supposed to have, or I'll already be finished. So Jake, let's shift, man. I mean- Or you'll hop the fence and then you'll run home. No, I'm not even gonna create that (laughs) as a possibility. Like I'm gonna go through whatever I need to go through. If I need to cry or sweat my face off, that's fine. I'm totally down with that. (laughs) Um, But let's talk about Canfield because Canfield actually, he was the one that wrote so many awesome things in your book. The Purpose Principles about you. Yeah. So what was your relationship with with Canfield? And then tell us the story. I know the story, but if you haven't heard of Jake's work before, like this is a guy who really matches his words and his actions and your story that you wrote about how you met Jack. You had this thought, you had this feeling and you went with it. Tell us about that. Yeah, well- We've all heard, you know, write your dreams down and write your goals down. And I was 
skeptical of it when I first heard it. I was, this was after I came back from traveling and I wrote the first draft of my first book into the wind and, and I was trying to figure it out. And I listened to his audio program, which was a cassette, Dare to Win. And in Dare to Win, he says to write down your top 101 goals in life. And I thought, you know, okay, I'll just play the game right? You've had that thing before and you don't know if you believe it. Well, I just decided to play the game. And number nine was to meet, become endorsed by, mentored by Jack Canfield, the creator of the Chicken Soup for the Soul series, half a billion books sold. Time Magazine declared them the publishing phenomena of the decade. They sold Chicken Soup for the Soul for a billion dollars. or Major guy in the secret. Like, yeah, Yeah, huge influence. My conscious mind said there's no rational way that that would happen. And someone says, I don't even know who says it rationalizing is rationing lies to your heart, to your soul. So when you have a dream, when you have a goal, the conscious mind comes into play and it says, no, I mean, this is this guy, you're this person. I don't know about that. So that's what happened. I was rationing lies to myself, but I said, okay, I'll just, I hear those thoughts, but I'm not going to give them much energy. I'll just play this game, write it down. Like he says, and time passes by. And eventually I get a call from who my speaking coach was at the time. And she says, you got to come to this event. Jack Canfield's the MC. There's going to be like six, 700 people there. So I don't know if you'll meet him, but you got to come. And I was, you know, I was like 19. So I, I didn't really even have the money for the event. It was like just, it was outside of my budget. So I, I'm like, don't want to buy the ticket, but I buy the ticket. And I drive the three hours from San Diego to LA and, and, um, before I get out of the car, I write on my book. I write actually a Dear Jack, and I write him. I write him a signed copy of the book. And when I walked in there, I realized two things: one, that it was going to be really difficult to meet him because there's 500 people, 600 people. He's the MC of the event. Everyone wants to take pictures. When in the line for pictures isn't the rapport that I needed to reach my goal of being mentored and, and endorsed by and become friends with Jack. And the second thing I realized is that to a 19-year-old, being dressed up might be a an unpressed corduroy suit and some old jeans. What color was the suit? It was a it was a it was a beige corduroy suit. That's awesome. Like, you have my brother's style. <laughs> I, lo- I love it. Yeah. Well, uh, it wasn't dressed up to uh-huh. everyone else, and so my seat they they it's a dinner like a banquet, and they're it's for some nonprofit. Gala Foundation or something like that. And so I was up in the ballroom on the second floor. And so there's thousands of people the whole time. I'm thinking, okay, there's no way possibly I'm ever going to meet him. You know, every break, there's tons of people taking pictures and the night goes through four or five hours. And eventually he's like, all right, we're going to break for dinner. And it's one of those places where you pick the dinner when you bought the ticket. So they actually waiters come and they serve it at the tables and stuff like that. So I thought, okay, this is going to be my only chance. And he starts walking towards his table. So I walk down the stairs down to the center of the room. His table's in the very center. And just as I'm approaching, someone else, you know, walks up like, hi, Jack, I'm so-and-so, whatever, you know? And so I'm like standing there awkwardly, like trying to look over my shoulder. Oh, that is the worst feeling, yeah. And, And then they finally let him go. And, you know, I start freaking out. And I realize, okay, five seconds of courage, five seconds of courage. I show up there and he's sitting down. And I come to his left shoulder. And I tap him on the shoulder. I say, hi, Jack, my name is Jake Ducey. I'm 19 years old or whatever. I wrote this book and you inspired it. And he probably heard that so many times. So he just says to me, he looks at me, he says, well, how'd I inspire you? 
And so I start quoting them. When someone says, no, you say next. Everyone said, no, I couldn't do it. I just kept saying next. And I just went, went off. So he starts laughing and he's like, huh, you should meet my wife. So he taps his wife on the shoulder and turns out his wife, and my mom went to high school together. So we're just like starting some rapport and it's going on for five, 10 minutes. He's looking at my book and eventually the waiter comes over to put the food down. And I'm like, ah, oh, you know, because I don't want to spoil his dinner and be that guy. And so I'm turning, like grab my book to like go back to my seat. And he stops and he says, Hey, are you going to eat that? And I said, what? I didn't, I was so caught up in the emotion. I didn't realize the person in a room brewing with people, no empty seats, 500, 600 people. And the seat to his left, the person just just, had just left and the waiter didn't know. So the waiter still put food at the empty seat, even though no one was sitting there. So he pulled the chair out. I sat down with him and that's how we developed our, our connection, our friendship. And the most amazing part of that, when you really think about that, people say luck, coincidence or whatever. I had the goal So I turned it over to my unconscious, to my subconscious. I got the impulse out of a six-hour event to go at the exact moment the waiter was behind the scenes going to his table out of hundreds of tables. They could have went to any table. And I got the urge to go. If you look at the synchronicity and and the orchestration of that, I get the urge while the waiter's behind the scenes about to take it to his table. And I talk to him just long enough where the waiter comes while I'm still there. And the waiter didn't start at the other side of the table or go to another table first, put it down while I was still there. And the person got up. If I went 20 minutes earlier, there would have still been a person there and the food wouldn't have come. And that's when I was really like, whoa. That's when you knew. That's when you could really trust that there is something way bigger than you in control of everything else. Someone's listening and they're thinking about that because we've all had these moments where we realize, wow, there's like seven things that just connect the dots that would have never happened unless I trusted that little voice that I had, that little voice. But what blocks people is the fear piece. I've dealt with fear my whole entrepreneur journey. And a lot of people deal with fear. One of the things you wrote in your book was about fear and meaning. And you put in your book, meaning comes while we're on the path to our vision, not once we achieve it. Unpack that sentence. Well, Abraham Maslow has, he talks about... um um, self-actualized people. And it's three steps to be a self-actualized person. He says only 1% of the population is self-actualized. 99% of the people aren't self-actualized. Maslow's, you know, hierarchy of needs, one of the most famous psychologists ever. And, um, the, I don't know if it's the first or the second principle of a self-actualized person is that they're in process over outcome. So he says, the most highly self-actualized, the most self-realized, most effective people in the world are in process over outcome, meaning that they're doing what they're doing for the process and not the outcome of it. And through the process, when they're focused on that, they're one, they're more productive, they're more effective because they're so present with what's happening around them. But that's where we all know that's where all the fun and the joy is anyways. Mm -hmm. But it's interesting to note that he says out of the three things to be a self-actualized person, number one or two of them is you're in process over outcome. And how many times do we ruin a process by being focused on the outcome? And it blows the relationship. I'm raising my hand right now. You know, the girl that you want to date or the woman you want to date or the man you want to date. And you're so like focused on like, I don't know, seeing them naked or like marrying them. You have this like 10 year vision and you just met and they freak out and they push you away. 
you know, whatever the case may be is, you know, we we're building a business and we happens all the time in the personal development space. People try to make the quick cash and they compromise their integrity or they get wrapped as like kind of that energy you don't want to be around. They can't create partnerships or they make some quick cash and people stay away from them because the, they didn't give more in use value than they took in cash value. So being wrapped up in the process, and we were talking about this just on your balcony, you're like, well, why don't you get a hundred people at your, or why don't you get more at your event? I'm like, dude, I got 50 people coming to my event, paying to come see me from all over yeah. the world. Like, I'm cool with that for now. <laughs> We'll jump right back with Jake Ducey. You know, on our wellness journey, it's so important now more than ever with our jam-packed schedules, the practice of self-care and self-love for both the body and mind. We're talking a lot on this episode about how to drop into that self-care, listening to what the body needs to give our bodies what they deserve and need. I've hand-selected three of my top superfoods from Perfect Supplements in a wellness bundle specifically designed for the Wellness Force Radio audience. Inside the bundle, you'll receive Rhodiola Rosea to elevate mood and calm stress. Prescript Assist Prebiotic and Probiotic to keep our guts healthy and squeaky clean, and 100% grass-fed hydrolyzed collagen for satiety, skin, and joint health. You know, we've talked a lot about if you're on a paleo or a Weston A price diet, you're probably familiar with bone broth. Bone broth is that nutrient-dense food because of the gelatin it's produced when you cook the bones. Well, gelatin is just cooked collagen. It's an abundant source of protein. It's included in the wellness bundle. Hop on over to perfectsupplements.com slash wellnessforce. Click on the wellness bundle and save 10% off your already heavily discounted package, get some good health and save some money in the process. Now let's get back to Jake Ducey. So this process versus the outcome, then it's like, we've heard this before, you know, trust the process, fall in love with the journey. And Abraham Hicks talks about this all the time where it's not even about the outcome. If you're in the vortex, what you're really experiencing is the flow of being in the process, which then if you do that, And only if you do that, then you actually get whatever outcome you were meant to get, which might be better than the outcome you wanted in the first place. Yeah. Well, Tony Robbins, I was listening to something from him the other day and he says, the biggest failure is success without fulfillment, is achievement without fulfillment. The biggest failure is achievement without fulfillment. And so, you know, it couldn't be better said than that. So then vibrationally, right? I mean, you talk about vibration and you said in a different interview, if your vibration is off in the present, then you're going to create more tension and angst in the future. I think that we are connected on a fundamental level in many different ways, quantum physics and things like this. But when you speak of vibration and from what you know about studying development and what vibration is, tell us listening, like what is vibration and what are your thoughts on how our current vibration will actually either attract or refract things that we want? Well, if you don't believe that your vibration... Um, why don't you make your heart stop? Because the uh, EKGs that measure your heart impulse at the hospital, the beep, beep, beep. If your beep, beep, beep stops, that means your heart is no longer sending electrical sim- um, impulses and you're dead. So your heart functions off of, it's an, it sends electrical impulses. That's how your heart works. So you're literally at the core all the blood flow of the 60 million or the six, 60,000 miles of, 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 of uh, blood vessels that are coursed through your body, all of that exists because of electrical impulses from your heart to begin with. You can also study brain, you can also check brain waves too. Um, I think it's called an electrocentifograph, or that might be the heart one. But mm-hmm. that's what they study is the electrical impulse of a brain wave and of a heart of the of the pulsating of the heart. So at the core, that's all you are is energy, and you're dead when your energy is no longer beating. That's no beep a, beep. That's what a flat line <laughs> yeah. is. And so um, right there, I mean, is just 
put two and two together, obviously there's some energetic correlation. Um, secondly, I mean, we think matter is real and physical things is real. And that's because we think that like at the core, an atom is a solid thing, but they created, uh, the, the, the atom bomb by being able to split the atom. So everything that we thought was solid actually isn't as solid as we thought it was because that's how they created the most deadly thing that's ever happened was by (laughs) splitting the very thing that we thought makes our world up. So really to blow your mind right there, an atom can actually be split apart, huh? We thought that was the basic fundamental building block of our physical reality for so long. Well, it's not. And so when you realize that and you look under an electron microscope, what you find is everything is just certain vibrational frequencies pulsating at different rates. And when you really break that down, you really look at that, it gets trippy because you see that everything is energy. Everything is different frequencies of energy. Everything is just a different vibration. All emotion is, is being consciously aware of your vibration. Uh, Emotion is literally emotion is just being, I'll say it again, being consciously aware of your vibration. So you could be in a vibration of anger. That's one emotion. You could be in a vibration of love. That's two emotions. It doesn't matter what it is. That All it is is a vibration. That's what emotion is. Emotion is E, energy, in motion. E, motion, energy in motion. I wish you guys could have seen the little figurine that he drew with his fingers right now. It was (laughs) was really awesome, man. And what's coming up for me is this morning, I had my car broken into, I was sharing with you and I, and I felt the emotion that you're talking about. And I literally caught myself. It was one of these beautiful times where this is, this is my path. Like this is my work to try to come from love, no matter what the context. And it's what Coot Blackson talks about. It's what Kyle Cease talks about. It's what everyone I think is working towards. How do I be in control of my vibration? How do I take ownership, like real ownership of my vibration, no matter what the context? What's the work you've done? What's, well, what's made a difference for you in that way? Bob always says the first thing is to just be aware of how you're feeling. That's the, I think where we really lose is we're never even aware of how we feel in the first place. And so if you want to know what you're creating, Bob says, get in tune with how you're feeling because how you feel right now is what you're creating. If you just think about it on the fundamental level, if I was an asshole and I was a really bad energy to be around, you wouldn't want me here. I probably wouldn't have the clients that I have. Just that alone, that emotion, that attitude I'm coming from is creating my reality just on the fundamental level of relationships just because people wouldn't want me around me, not even getting into woo-woo-y or whatever, even though it's just scientifically proven that you can split an album and that matter isn't actually matter and everything is energy. And so I think first is getting in touch with how do I feel? How do I feel right? How do I feel about money? How do I feel about love? How do I feel about real connection? How do I feel about myself when I look at myself in the mirror when I wake up in the morning? Because that's going to tell me what my self-image is. And there's huge psychological studies by Maxwell Maltz, um, who created Cyberpsychonetic, whatever, uh, to prove that your self-image is what's creating your life. And so he was a um, plastic surgeon that would do major work on people. And he started thinking it was strange because he would do major plastic surgery work on people and they would say, I'm not any different. And he'd be like, look at the picture. And they'd be like, freak out. So he stopped showing people the picture because they would get combative. So we realized there was a, um, there was a uh, self image that was controlling like a governor on a car or like a thermostat that regulates temperature and keeps you at a certain wavelength or like the autopilot of an airplane. It keeps you in a certain wavelength of, of how you see your world. 
And so if you get in touch with how you feel, you can discover what you're creating financially and spiritually and in your health and everything like that just by how you feel about things because that's going back to what your beliefs are. And then you can start to, you know, uncover what your unconscious beliefs are that are creating that emotion in the first place. Mm. Because every, think about it this way, when you're little, you know, you're like, mom, there's a monster under my bed. There's a monster on your bed. It's like three in the morning. So she's really late to come in. Cause she's like, dude, you just did this two hours ago. There's not a monster under your bed, but your palms are sweaty. Your armpits are sweaty. Your heart's beating. You're convinced there's a monster. She's like, look under the bed. You're like, no, no, there's a monster under there. Look under the bed. Fine. You look under the bed. There's not a monster there, but you thought there was a monster there. Well, your thoughts don't know the difference. Your nervous system does not know the difference between what's real and what's imagined. And that's proof because you thought it was real. You were triggered with fear hormones. You started to freak out. Your body got into that state, that vibration, that emotion, that energy, and you thought it was real, but it wasn't. Or people think there's a robber in their house and they freak out. Maybe they've even, maybe you listening have known someone or you yourself have called 911 because you thought there was a robber in your house, but then there wasn't a robber. Why? Because you believe the thoughts that you think and your nervous system believes it. So it reacts chemically to the belief systems, to the thoughts that are dominant that we hold. And that's how our whole life is in control. People think they're going to get fired from their job. They never get fired. But for two years, they think they're going to get fired. And every day they're in scared or they think someone's cheating on them, but they really aren't <laughs> cheating on them, but they think they are. And then they try and frame them and set them up or they sabotage the relationship because they think someone's doing something that they're not. That's because your thoughts control your nervous system. It's your body is just a servant of your mind responding to your thoughts. So um, I'm kind of going on a tangent there, but that's proof that people say, well, you can't act as if, well, you're doing it all the time with your fear. Mm. You think something's real and it's not real. You thought there was a monster in your bed. It wasn't there. Why don't you just do it positively and put a positive spin on it? So you talked about, you've studied with Bob really intensely. You've read a ton of books. I mean, how many books do you think you've read on vibration alone and that, and that modality? Uh, I don't know. Handfuls, I, I like, right? No, like zero. I don't know. I don't like, I don't, you know what I think's funny? I think it's funny when people are like, I've read 30,000 books. I'm like, how do you do? Do you read them? Do you like, do you tally <laughs> mark you your books? Them? Yeah. <laughs> or do you tally mark them after you read them? <laughs> I don't know. I just, I, 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 I'm definitely, it's just, it's a passion. Some people yeah. are interested in mathematics and I'm really fascinated with what creates the fundamentals of, of the physical world and, and, and how we create our lives. This is cool because one of the things I was reading your work and I was going through some things and I saw this in your work or somewhere, it was creating the life you love and doing what you love. I was in Oregon two months ago and I was hanging out with my friend's four-year-old kid and we had the best day and I was reading your book, Purpose Principles, when we were out there and I just popped my head up. I have no idea why I asked him, but I was like, Mason, why is it important to do what you love? What do you think? And he's like playing with his truck and he looks up and he says, because then you'll be great. <laughs> That's funny. And I was like, this is such profound wisdom from this four-year-old boy. And it's from this question that you pose in your work. And it's how do we actually do what we love? So we, a lot of what we talk about, Jake, on the show is behavior change, you know, mastering the mind. You work with a lot of people who are, who are seeking this change on how they can change things in their mind first 
because that's where everything flows from, but then in their actions and their behaviors to get this life that they love, to get this great life. So what do you think about connecting back with that four-year-old in us? We all want to listen to more what that four-year-old has to say because he or she knows what's really true anyways, like Mason told me, you know, when he was playing with his truck. So what do you think from the people you've worked with, like what gets people back in touch with that authentic part of themselves, that, that inner child, that inner kid that knows the right way and that they can begin to trust? Well, Steve Jobs says, remembering that I'll be dead soon is the most important tool I encounter to help me make the big decisions in life. And I think when you just really grasp that you're going to die, like I was thinking yesterday, I'll be in only 35 more times will planet Earth go around the sun and I'll be 60 years old. It only has to spin around the sun 35 more times and I'll be 60. So you guys know Jake's 25 and he's done all these amazing things, but yes, keep going. (laughs) And, And it's crazy if you think the earth just has to spin around the sun X amount more times and I'll be dead. And I think when you grasp that and you take that into account, um, I think that it creates a new sense of urgency and um, meaning um, and excitement to life where it's like, damn, I'm not going to waste the rest of this time. And it's like, really, what do you have the worst to lose? Most people are in debt anyways. What are you going to do? Go in more debt? Most people spend their whole lives in debt. And so it's like, what do you really have to lose? And um, so I think when we break that down and ask ourselves simple questions, I think it it's not more information that we need, but more questions you know, and, 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 um, if you, if you watch a Tony Robbins video, he asks questions. He doesn't give you information when he's doing an intervention what he calls an intervention. He asks questions. So I think questions are, there's no information I can tell you in this episode or, or that you can tell your listeners that will help them break through, but we can point them to ask the right questions. And when you ask the right questions, you'll find the right answers. And I think one question that, you know, can be really significant is, you know, what would have to happen one year from now for me to look back, say it was my most successful, my most fulfilling year yet. What would have to happen? How much money would I have to make? Would I travel around the world? Would I stay where I am? Would I start that business? What would have to happen for it literally to be the most successful year ever? Because most people spend the, the, the year before the same year as they will the year after. They don't look at their results. They don't say, what are my goals? They don't do any of that. And when you ask yourself, what would make it the most successful year yet? You, uh, the, the question itself pulls you out of your conditioning because it, it takes you out of your world and say, well, well, what would happen hypothetically? What would happen hypothetically if you played the what if game? You know, people say, well, I want to travel around the world. Well, I want to start my own podcast. Well, I want to raise my income to $10,000 a month. Well, I want to go on Saturdays and Sundays, start a nonprofit that helps inner city kids or feeds the homeless or whatever. I want to help dogs or I want to start learning the piano, whatever it is. And the, the biggest problem is no one asks themselves that question anyways, because we're told multiple choice. We're, we're taught to pick A, B, C, or D. And all of our tests are conditioned to pick. And then all of our choices in life are be a doctor, be this, be this, be that. We're told to pick choices. We're never asked fill in the blank questions, but life is fill in the blank. What do you want? What do you actually want from your life? And the problem is most people have such little goals, there's no excitement in them. You know, if you have it all figured out, you know, you might as well just die right now. If you already know all the answers, what's the point of being alive in the first place? Close your eyes, die, you know, you're wasting your time anyways. So Mm -hmm. I think when we ask ourselves these types of questions, it pulls us out of our conditioning and it says, hey, what is it that I actually want to do? 
You talk about people that plan their vacations moving through fear. We plan vacations more than we plan our lives. Perhaps this is easier to escape than it is to challenge ourselves. I mean, that kind of hit me in the chest because I remember when I was in corporate America, I would always think about the weekend, the weekend's coming. I can't wait for the weekend. Now I'm excited every day because I'm doing something that's in alignment with what I really believe in. How do people shift out of this space? And if somebody's in a job that they're not really wanting to be in right now, there's nothing wrong with having a job in corporate America, by the way, because there's a lot of people that do amazing things in that space. But if somebody's listening and they're in a position where they they don't want to be there anymore, I mean, how do they start to plan out of that? Like, how do they get out of that? Well, I think first is just to have goals anyways, because it's it's not what we're doing with the meaning that we give things that control our life. So, um, I mean, I have a client that, when she started with me, she wanted to quit her job and travel around the world. Then she realized that she didn't want to travel and she's fine with her job. She just had to give it a new meaning and, you know, become (laughs) a leader and develop these things. Whenever people tell me they want to travel, I always know they really don't want to travel. (laughs) And uh, they just want to get away from something or get closer to something. Yeah. They want to get closer to themselves, into their heart and to, um, feeling better about themselves and traveling is a way they, it, it's just, I notice in my seminars, people will say, I want to travel. And then by the end, they're like, no, I have this idea. <laughs> I realized I was running away from it. If I went, there's nothing wrong with traveling, but point being that, um, it's about increasing your value, not what you do. So you can be in a job that you hate, but you can say, I'm going to become the most valuable person in this whole, in this whole place. No matter where I am, even if you're at the bottom of the totem pole and you're the assistant's assistant to the assistant, you can become so valuable at that place that you grow your skills so great that either you get a raise or you realize your self-image is so high that you can go somewhere else to a new company or start your own path. So I think really it's about increasing our value because when you get lost in the process, it doesn't matter where you are. You could be starting your podcast with a $3 mic, you know, and people get lost in like, I want a studio like Lewis Howes. It's not where you are. It's the meaning that you're giving it and the value that you're creating from it. Tony Robbins says that um, fulfillment comes from progress. So looking at your goals of how you can progress, I think is a great um, place to start from and giving things new meaning. I was with someone or I overheard a conversation yesterday and I was thinking about it today they said about how they hate Mondays. And I was thinking in my head, like, what Monday do to you? Why do you hate Monday? What did Monday do to you? And I thought it was a funny spin on What did Monday do to you? It's just about the meaning that we're giving those things. So you may hate Mondays right now, but you could give it a new meaning where Monday is the first day or Tuesday is the first day of your new life where you decide I'm going to take my life in this direction. I may not be where I want to be now, but I'm going to grow my income to X so I can create some savings to go on my own path or so I can rise up in the company and be a creative director or a manager or an executive. So I think just shifting our meaning on things you know, and taking a step back, put the phone down, put it on silent, turn your computer off, uh, blacklist face. Facebook and give yourself some space to be able to get clear on what type of meaning and things you want to create, because that's a question we're never asked. What do you want to create moving forward? And mm. I think when we ask ourselves that, we just it's just a question. It's not like this strategy. Here's how you get out of your job that you don't want to be in. Well, if you don't like your job, the first step might be to start to get comfortable with yourself more. Jim Rohn says, anyways, um, work harder on yourself than you do on your job. You make a fortune. 
It's all about yourself. And when you find your skills that you suck at, but that you enjoy, you can start to develop more time with those, get better at those, get paid better for those things, whether it's in corporate America or as an entrepreneur or somewhere in between. Mm, this is so powerful, man. I mean, this is why I have the podcast. Like exactly what you're talking about is why I do the show. And it's so focused on growth. Like how do we actually become this next layer? How do we peel that layer back? And one of the things you talk about is visualization. And in visualization, it's, you actually wrote, if you hold the vision within yourself long enough, two things can happen. You eventually give up or you start talking to yourself about how it's not going to happen or how it's not happening. Talk about that a little bit in reference to somebody realizing that they don't want to be where they are and then starting to create this new path, you know, the life they're creating. Well, Neville Goddard says, assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled. Can you take your future dream as a present fact and assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled? It goes back to the monster under your bed. All that was was an image in your head that had an image of a scary monster that was going to eat you because you think in images, not in words. So people say, well, visualization this or that. You think in images. If I say, think of your front door, it doesn't spell the words front door in the inside of your mind. You literally see the image of your door or your car. You don't spell out 1994 Nissan Mitsubishi. It doesn't spell it out in your head. You just, an image flashes into your head. Pink elephant, bank account. It's like everything just flashes images. So if you can control the images in your head, then you can essentially control your mind and you can control your life. And when you realize that the images that are in your head create the thoughts that you think, the thoughts that you think, the images that you hold create a reaction for your nervous system, which trigger how you feel, which trigger the actions that you do or don't take. Hence, you're curled up on your bed, scared of the monster or you're scared of the robber, which a lot of people can relate to today. Like I'm sure there's 20, 30, 40, 50 year olds that still sometimes think there's someone in their house. And, and and, and that's because you had an image of some guy with a gun or a knife. You freaked out. You started having those thoughts. Your nervous system paralyzed you. So you sat there in total fear and panic. So the image is the central controlling device of your life. So if you can start to... Um, and, and what happens is most people's images are dictated by the outside world. So... Um, Wallace Waddle says, to think what you want to think is to think truth, regardless of appearance. I'll say that again, to think what you want to think. So to think what you want to think, regardless of what the world tells you, regardless of your, of your, of your report cards that you got in school, regardless of your, of your reports that you're getting at work, regardless of what your, of what your mobile banking account says that you log into four times a day to see if you're overdrafting, regardless of any sensual stimuli, senses, stimuli outside of yourself, regardless of that, can you assume the feeling of the wish fulfilled? Can you hold the image that you want instead of let the physical world control you. And the problem is almost everyone lets the physical world control them. If, if, but what a visionary is, is someone who leads from the inner vision, the inner image, the vision visualization that they have. That's why we have, um, airplanes because the Wright brothers, when that happened, the Wright brothers didn't accept the outer world or Henry Ford didn't accept the outer world. Henry Ford, by the way, is a seventh grade education, you know? So 
visionary Steve Jobs, all a visionary is, is someone who doesn't accept the outer world, but we don't, it seems really romantic and un, not understandable. So you have to become a visionary. You have to think what you want to think regardless of appearance. And the way to do that is to start to fill yourself with, stop filling yourself with crap music. Most people are filling themselves with crap music or they're filling themselves with scrolling on Facebook. The information that's coming into them is constantly negative. They're checking Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton and whatever it was said here in the news this and the bombing that happened here. It's just infiltrating us with negativity over and over and over again. And then people talk about negativity and you have to change the subject all Mm -hmm. the time. And Mm -hmm. and when your parents are negative or your friends are negative, Bob Proctor says, don't go as often and don't stay as long. You have to start to um, control as much of the sensual stimuli outside of yourself as you can, because you have to come from the image within yourself. That's what living from the inside out means. And it's a challenge because we're so convinced to react to the world. But as Deepak said, we're a bundle of of controlled or whatever you said, nerves. And we have to move away from that. And that's all, everything that's ever been created in the world has been created from imagination. The iPhone, the microphone, iTunes, everything was These first microphones were speaking on everything. Everything. And what is a shirt? It's created by a designer. What is the designer? It's somebody that has images of clothes and then they create them. So we don't put two and two together. So I invite you, put two and two together and know that you have this amazing, powerful image making of your mind to create whatever you want to create. But the problem is most people are living at default to what the world tells them of who they are and what they're capable of based off of their education and the income level they grew up in or their past experiences or all this crap that's an illusion that's not real. It all comes from within ourselves. So the question is, what do you want to create? So when I started my events, the first event that I ran, there was like three people there. Literally three people came. And, you know, most people give up when there's three people came. I saw those three people, but I saw 50 people that weren't there. And now over time, there's 50 people. When I see 50 people there, I'm going to see 500 people there. Soon I'll have 500 people there. That's the way it works. You know, you have to move to that type of space. Like Jay-Z has that song, So Ambitious with Pharrell. Mm -hmm. And he says, I felt so inspired by, by, by what my teacher said. She said, I either be dead or be a reefer head. I'm not sure if that's how adults should speak to kids, especially when the only thing I did was speak in class. But even worse was what my uncle did. I popped my demo in, started beating heads, peeped out my eyes to see if he was beating heads. He might as well said, beat it, kid. He's on the list. And so he's telling the story about how all the sensual stimuli outside of himself said you couldn't do it. But he was so ambitious that he didn't accept the world. He said, uh, there's this one quote, he says, "Um, I can't base who I am off of what everybody isn't. The problem is everyone bases who they are off of everything outside of themselves. But he's saying, I did the opposite. And if you look at any great achiever, that's what they had to do to achieve anything of consequence, regardless of what it was. At a certain level, you have to block out the world and shut your senses down. And that's what visualization is or being a visionary or creating a dream is, is that you believe in your inner world more than your outer world. And when you do that, it's really hard because everyone wants to point out this fact and this thing and this fact and this thing. But all a fact was, was once at one time, just someone imagining something and then it started being popular opinion. You have to move to that space. Like we're not talking about you levitating and going up into space and breathing with your own lungs. We're just talking about changing your financial 
financial future or your weight or your relationships or your life. These are small feats compared to what's been accomplished by other people doing it. Damn, I love this rant so much. And I know that you're listening and feeling like you want to get up and go for a run. You're pumping me up right now. And this quote that came up for me, this is the last quote we'll take from your book. But this one hit really hard and it hit exactly what you're talking about. You interviewed Laird Hamilton and he told you this story about a woman who approached him on the beach. She knew that he was one of the greatest surfers alive. And she asked him, hey, excuse me, can you please teach me how to surf? Because I really, I really suck. And so Hamilton's response was, uh, I want you to say that I am good at surfing from now on and to stop saying that you suck. And so she said it. And then Hamilton said, great, that was your first surf lesson. So and he walked away. <laughs> and he walked away. So this really, this really, this visualization piece and the, and the things that we tell ourselves, the, the mental narrative, you know, of the woman and, and the surfer, the visualization that you talked about, my conversation with myself around my, my car theft this morning. But all of these things point to what's the story we're creating? Because that really is like my work. I feel like that's your work. That's your contribution to the wellness industry and to the personal development industry is really allowing people to create this new story. So thanks for what you do, man. I want to shift. This is the last part of the show. This is actually where we get to know a little bit more about you deeper. And in this part, it's just seven questions for seven amazing answers. Don't worry though, you don't have to be perfect. The first question is, what makes you laugh the most? Probably my girlfriend. She's, she's funny. She also does amazing artwork. <laughs> We're gonna link. Can I link that in this show? That'd be her awesome, artwork, man. Yeah, it's ashleyhallart.com. It is truly man. amazing. She does this burning artwork with yeah. A, she wood burns mandalas. And tremendous, tremendous. And Jake, what's one of the biggest things that happened for you that society might call a failure, but that you define as a great lesson? Well, I'm a college dropout and I also failed junior English class in high school. I finished an independent study where you're in a room with a desk by yourself and you don't have a teacher and they just tell you make like my final essay for my junior year of high school was to pick write a persuasive essay on anything I wanted. And some lady just said, do it. And I sat in a room by myself and I wrote it on why Kobe Bryant was better than LeBron James. <laughs> so I have no credentials or qualifications to be giving information or writing books or whatever, literally none. I don't even have any business experience and like out of, out of my behind, I, you know, created all this. So, um, that's people, most people probably assume I'm a dropout or something if they just read a little bit, but probably that and failing junior English class. And this is amazing. This is a fun fact about Jake. He actually failed out of English class. He taught himself how to write by rewriting the entire book of The Great Gatsby because he read that Hunter S. Thompson did that, right? Yeah, so yeah. what inspired you to do that? I know we're off topic from the speed round here, but tell us that real quick. Yeah, yeah. Well, yeah. Um, think about it this way or this way I thought about it. Let's say you wanted to be a reggae musician. Who would you, who, what would you do? You would memorize Bob Marley songs and your other favorite reggae musicians. Or if you wanted to um, do folk, blues, whatever, you'd do Bob Dylan or whatever. Well, why don't we do that with writing? We do it with music. You know, we hit their notes. We do everything. So I was like, why don't we just do the exact same thing? It's just another art form. And Hunter S. Thompson did it. And he was a seventh grade dropout. And he was one of the most successful writers of his generation, slightly crazed fool, but also, you know, <laughs> a, a highly successful writer. So I said, yeah. well, if he did it, I could do it. So I just retyped and that's how I learned how to write. What about life gives you the most awe and makes you the most grateful about experiencing it? Well, if you just think about your heart for a second, that your heart beats a hundred thousand times a day, you were just given it. You didn't even, you didn't even decide. You didn't, you, it beats for you. You don't have to be like, all right, beat, beat. 
heartbeat. Think about how bad this interview would be if like we had to consciously make our heartbeat. I'm like, hold on one second. I have been talking too <laughs> I much. I have five more beats to go. <laughs> <laughs> and when you go to bed at night, like you don't have to be like, all right, subconscious mind. Remember to make sure my heart beats tonight. And yeah. like, you just like wake or set an alarm every 10 minutes and like remind yourself, you don't do any of that. It just happens. It just happens to pump blood through 60,000 miles of veins that if there's actually uh, vessels, if they're actually spread out, they go around the earth twice. We'll go around the earth twice. That I, I had to check that because I didn't believe it when I first heard it. If you take all the vessels in your body and you extend them straight out, it will go around the earth twice. And if you really grasp that, that your organ, like you just have like, you can just put food in your stomach and you don't have to like digest your food and sit down and like figure out, read a textbook on how to make your food digest. Even though a lot of people in the health space do spend a lot of time Mm, figuring out how to make their food digest, but you don't have to, you have an unconscious mind that naturally perfectly does all of that for you. The problem is that we interfere with the natural rhythms of our body. So you have all these organs that do all of that. And that itself is literally a miracle. We're not alive because of conscious effort. So it always fascinates me that people think, well, I need my conscious effort to make me successful. I have to work 18 hours a day like X, Y, and Z entrepreneur that will leave nameless that prides themselves online to a million followers about how you should work 18 hours a day if you want to be successful. You don't have to work 18 hours a day. You have to understand that you were created by a force larger than yourself. It's unconscious. And if you get in harmony with that, you can have every single thing that you want. So I think that's fascinating. I fell for that trap, the whole like, I hustle while you sleep, blah, blah, blah. I fell for that and then it burnt me out. And it got to this point where like, I literally had to do a wellness effects blood panel in six months of lifestyle modification to fix it. So just trust me, like we don't have to work that much. So thank you for saying that, Jake. Um, Almost done, man, with the speed round. Really, this question is about like, if you were on a news station on every TV in the world for like three minutes, what would you say, right? It doesn't have to be three minutes long, but if you were on every station, let's say in the United States, all at one time, what message would you share? I would say, it's really interesting that I'm on the air for three minutes and at least one person listening to this is going to die during that three minutes due to an unrelated and unforeseen death, either from their heart stopping, they're gonna get hit by a car or a comet's gonna smash through their building, they're gonna get hit by a plane. One of you listening to this right now is gonna die before the end of this. Isn't that fascinating? Isn't that alone worth the excitement alone to go out there and to open your heart and listen to your heart and do the things that you love and to drop your resentments and your anger that you have towards your sister or your mom or your dad that did you wrong or your ex that cheated on you or your teacher or your boss that you don't like or that person that took you for that business deal. Isn't that alone the fact that you listening to this might be dead before this ends? alone enough to open up your heart to the possibilities, to the love, to the opportunities out there to make your life worth living. Eric Thomas says, you have the lifetime, you have an opportunity of a lifetime if you make the most of it in the lifetime of the opportunity. I really love that. What's the mantra you tell yourself when life gets rough? Do you have a message or a mantra that you repeat? I honestly, if I'm really feeling bad, I just close my eyes and I smile. It's a state change. You're changing your energy. They've done studies at Berkeley where they took clinically depressed patients, put them in front of a mirror, had them smile for 20 minutes, and their symptoms, it was like 360 degrees. And then now that I watched the Tony Robbins documentary- I am not your guru. He says, I would go on a run and I would say, I'm unfucking 
fucking stoppable. So I go on a run and I, or I, when I'm in the car on the way here, I just go, I'm on fucking stoppable. I'm on, for like five minutes. I just yell that on the way. So that's a new one that I do. It's a state change. It makes you laugh, makes you smile, stand up, get emotionally involved with the idea. It changes your frequency, your physiology, your vibration. So I do that and I smile. This is the last question of today's show. I'm so stoked about the rants you've had, about the, the places we've gone in this conversation. But this question is unique to every guest. I ask this to people that are in health and wellness and people like yourself that are helping others create the new story. And with all you've been through, man, like what's wellness to you? What's your personal definition of wellness? Seeing at every moment there are infinite possibilities. And when you recognize that, then you can choose the reality of a well life. You can choose to be in a well body that is healthy. And you can choose when this ends to go on a run. And when you open up to the infinite possibilities, you can choose to create a well financial statement. You know, wellness isn't just your health. Wellness is the wellness around money, around love, around relationships, around the what you see when you look in the mirror. It's around being happy with the car that you drive and the shoes that you wear and the clothes that you wear and the house that you live in. That's all a form of wellness. And so I think it's to me, I'm empowered into wellness when I recognize we live in a world of infinite possibilities. Unfortunately, most people are pre-programmed to only see a certain possibilities, which is generally poverty, um, ill health, um, people cheating on them, the government stealing from you, everyone's corrupt. They only see that. But there's a world of infinite possibilities. The guy right next to you is a multimillionaire with the most amazing relationship ever, travels all around the world, helps millions of people, never turns on CNN, constantly negative news. So it's seeing at any moment, this is a world of infinite possibilities. And I have the ability to consciously choose the direction that I go in. And if I align my unconscious with that, I can create those things that I want. Great answer, bro. This is the coolest event I think I'm going to go to all year. And it's November 5th and 6th. It's Jake's Unlimited Abundance. It's a live training. It's filling up pretty quick, right? How many spots do you have left at this point? This is going to air in the middle of September. I don't know. I haven't looked at the exact numbers, but there's under 20 left. So definitely if if this inspires you, I, I priced it at something where, you know, there's people from all over around the world. So I wanted everyone to be able to come. So I priced it at 98 bucks a day. So it's $197 for the weekend. And, you know, it's funny. We, we're going to spend our money anyways. And so so it's important to make choices that are towards the life that we want to live. So if you feel like, you know, you connect to this interview and you don't really know who I am, but it's inspired you at all or connect with you a little bit, I invite you to step into your bigger future. Maybe you have a little bit of doubt. Maybe you have to travel a little bit or whatever, your hotel room, your flight. I invite you to step into your bigger future and to step into your vision and who you want to become and to face that fear, face that doubt, face that uncomfort and know that you can spend money and invest money on yourself. And that's the most beautiful thing that there is. And the other added fun thing is that I'll be at the event as well. So guys, come <laughs> hang out with me, learn more from Jake. So you, you actually wrote your site. It's a teaching seminar where we're going to learn kind of how to create these miracles we've talked about and increase success drastically. Thank you so much for coming on the show, man. People can learn about you at jakeducey.com. Show notes from today are going to be at wellnessforce.com slash love life perfect title for actually what we talked about today. But Jake, thank you so much for your work, man. I want to honor what you do. You've created so much in a quarter of a century of life that a lot of people struggle with in an entire life. So thanks for what you do, man. Thank you for having me. 
Huge thanks to Jake for coming out to my place here in Encinitas. Speaking of Encinitas, are you going to join me at Jake's event? It's going to be at the Tamarack Resort. I'm going to be there on November 5th and 6th. This is not going to be a motivational speaking event. This is a teaching seminar. You're going to learn how to create miracles and increase success drastically. He has guest speaker from The Secret. Bob Proctor, who's going to be giving an intensive at his event. I am so incredibly pumped to see this guy in person. I've always wanted to meet Bob Proctor in person. Well, you get your chance. You can meet me. We can hang out together. Just go to the show notes page from today at wellnessforce.com slash love life, and we can high five each other on the coast of Carlsbad. Now, all that's left to do is for you to go out and create an amazing day with everything you got today from Jake and his inspirational story and all the guests that have ever been on the show. So until I see you again real soon, and until I get back from my Vipassana, which hopefully I'm not wearing a white bed sheet and call myself Rainbow Moonshine. Well, if I did, then you know it worked. I'm wishing you love and wellness. 